if you guys are sports fans or not, but the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship, and that's pretty exciting. If you don't know what any of that is, it's a professional basketball team, the only Canadian professional basketball team, and they won the championship for the first time ever in history. They never even made it there before. And why I think that's kind of cool is because it was something that Canada was able to come together on and cheer for this one team against all these other teams. Now, they had never been there before. They were underdogs. They had done decent in the regular season, but going into the playoffs, they were thought of as a team that would just get knocked out pretty early because that's just what happened in years past continuously. But they persevered. They fought through injury. They fought through losing um, certain teammates. And as they moved into the playoffs, they won round after round all the way to the NBA Finals, a place they'd never been. And even as they got there, they were supposed to be swept. The team they were playing was known as a super team, and people thought they were going to get swept four straight. And they fought back, and they persevered, and they won. And they won the finals. And that's pretty awesome. I mean, it was great that we were able to cheer together for the Toronto Raptors on their perseverance. So what we're going to be seeing today is perseverance, a biblical view of perseverance. And we're going to be looking at this. This is the main idea I want you guys to, to hold on to today and throughout this week. And it's this. It's that a love that perseveres is a love that wins. A love that perseveres is a love that wins. So how does it win? It wins by reaching the hearts of the sinner and the unreachable to bring glory to God. And that's how it wins. And we're going to see more of that later. But we are going to be in the book of Hosea. So if you have a Bible with you, you can flip open to Hosea um, chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. So Hosea is a, a book in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic book known in the, as a minor prophet. And Hosea is the writer and author of this book and it is God speaking to him into his life. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible if you're not sure exactly where that is. It's the beginning of the minor prophets. Now before we start reading through Hosea 3, I think it's important that we go through a summary of what has happened so far in the first two chapters of Hosea. It builds us to where we're at in chapter 3. So in chapter 1 of Hosea, we see God speak to him for the first time. And the first thing that God says to this prophet is he tells him to go and marry. And not just any person, but he tells him to marry an adulterous woman. That's a pretty crazy call that God is saying to him. In the ESV, it says, marry a wife of whoredom is what it says. So what does that mean? What did that look like? Hosea went. He didn't question God. He listened. He listened to God and he married a woman named Gomer and they had three kids. And after they had three kids and he was married to her, she left. She abandoned him. Now, before we get too into it, one thing I want to make known through this is this is a pro prophetic book and God is using Hosea, which we will see time and time again as we read through this. God is using Hosea as an image of himself. This isn't a directory or how we are supposed to handle adultery in marriage or in relationships. This is God saying, just as Hosea is loving Gomer, this is my love towards my people. And at this point, it was the Israelites. So he tells them, in the same way that your wife is adulterous towards you, the people of Israel are adulterous towards me. That's what God is saying. So Gomer is gone, Hosea is left with the three kids, and we see in chapter 2 kind of the outcome of that. We see it a little bit from Gomer's perspective. 
God is talking about the Israelites' perspective, but it's meant to put from Gomer's perspective. So Gomer is doing whatever she wants. She's chasing after new and different lovers. She's searching for um, enjoyment in the form of material possessions, being given things to her. And she's just living life however she wants to live as an adulterous woman. And then we see that God says he puts up a wall. He blocks Hosea, or blocks Gomer rather, from receiving these things. She's no longer being paid. She's no longer receiving these material possessions. She's starting to go broke. She's losing everything. And God says a consequence or a punishment for the way that she has left her husband and left her family, right? And that's kind of setting the stage for us in chapter three. So before we dig in and read through this five verse chapter, I think it'd be important if we took a moment to pray and just refocus on why we're here this morning. So if you pray with me, Dear Lord, we are so thankful for who you are. We are thankful that you've changed us. We're thankful that you've worked in our lives and we are looking forward to you doing it again. I pray that um, the spirit would have us see whatever it is you want us to see, whatever is true and glorifying to you. I pray that it would sit like a weight in our hearts and in our minds this morning, God. We are counting on you and we are relying on you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's read through Hosea chapter three. This is what it says. And the Lord said to me, Hosea speaking, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear of the Lord and to the goodness in the latter days. Now, if you have read through Hosea before, or if you're skimming through it right now, you would see that God is constantly making these comparisons. He's making the comparisons to Hosea and Gomer from himself and the Israelites. So we need to keep in mind that this book is not written to us. This book was written to the Israelites who are about to go into exile. It's for them. But there is a prophetic element to this book that we can take from this. And it's this. It's that the love of God, the love that he shows, is the same. It's timeless. The love that God shows to his people is timeless. So we see that. So what is persevering love? What is it? I think there's four biblical ingredients, we'll say, from this passage that make up what persevering love is, right? So think of it like a cake, the main ingredients of a cake. If you don't have them, if you don't have all of them, it doesn't make up a cake or a very good one. So these four ingredients, I believe, are all crucial to make up what is combined as persevering love. So the first ingredient that we see is called patience. So persevering love is patience. Now, one more thing before we get into that, sorry, is um, 
we often put ourselves in the, as the place of a hero in the story. If you guys have read through the Old Testament much, you see stories like David fighting Goliath and all these awesome stories. And we put ourselves in that place. Like, yeah, I want to be David. I want to be fighting the giants in my life. I want to be Hosea, loving people the way God loves. I want to be that. And that's great. And we're going to get to that eventually. But we need to realize that we are not the Hosea in this story. Hosea is symbolic in an image of God. And Gomer is his people. And we, as his people, are more Gomer than we are Hosea. So we need to realize that and look at it through that perspective that we are not clean, tidy, and put together Hosea, but we are the Gomer of this story. So with that in mind, let's look at how God's persevering love is shown towards us. So the first ingredient is persevering love is patient. So let's look at verse one again. Let's read that together. And the Lord said to me, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So right away, we have seen that God has been using the image of marriage to represent his relationship to his people. And I believe he does that because the intimacy that is found in marriage is more vulnerable than any relationship you can possibly have. And Hosea was told to be with someone that had taken that and thrown it away time and time again. That's who he's with. So the first couple of words that God tells to Hosea are, go again. He says, go again, Hosea. Now we just stop for a moment and think how crazy that must have been for him to hear. Let's think from his perspective for one moment and think about it like this. You want me to go again? You want me to chase down the woman who I knew could hurt me and already has hurt me? You want me to open myself up to being hurt again by this person? Right? She burned me once. Well, who's to say she's not going to do it again? That's what would be running through my mind. Like, it's time to give up and move on. I'm done. I'm not chasing her down. And those are hard questions to try and answer. Do you chase down? Do you go after? And thankfully, though many of us would say no, it's time to give up, God steps in and God says, go again. He does not give Hosea an option. He says, go again. Right? He steps in. He says, love this woman who has betrayed you, who has hurt you, who has abandoned you. Why? Why should I love her? Because this is how God loves his people. That's why you need to chase her down. Now the Israelites had made a covenant with God, very much like a marriage. That's why it's compared to that. Yet they still abandoned him. They still turned to false gods. And it says that they loved cakes of raisins. So what does that mean? Maybe you guys are getting tripped up on that this morning. You're trying to understand what God is saying, but just the weird throwing of cakes and raisins is throwing you off. So what cakes of raisins represents is it represents a sacrifice that was often made at the time to various false gods. So it was like a religious ritual that many people participated in to idols or false gods. So God is saying, just as your wife has left you and abandoned me and chased after other lovers, so the people of Israel, my people, are worshiping other gods and offering sacrifices and and being a part of their religious rituals. 
That's what God is saying here. So we see that they are participating in these. They are a part of committing spiritual adultery to God. They knew full well of the covenant that they had made with God, yet they were turning from him and running to anything else they could find to fill themselves with, right? And Gomer is doing the same thing to Hosea, right? But God, in his persevering love, he does not abandon them. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm done with you. You guys are done. I'm casting judgment on you forever and I'm separating myself from you. No, he doesn't abandon them. In fact, quite the opposite. God shows patience. He offers patience to the Israelites. Even in their spiritual adultery, God is patient. Now, I can remember a time when I was in a group text with a few of my friends, and we would message each other back and forth because we wanted to stay in contact with each other, and we lived kind of far away. And we also used it as an opportunity to hold each other accountable. So we would kind of say, how are you, how are you doing? What's going on? What do you need prayer for? Different things like that. And one of my friends was dealing with this issue in his life. And it just seemed like the issue would not go away. It, was, it seemed like over a year, he just continually asking for prayer for the same thing he was struggling with, can't get past it, can't get past it. And I started to get frustrated. I was like, come on, man, like, you need to get past this. It's been a year of you dealing with the same issue. Like, what is the roadblock? And eventually it came to a point when I just stopped replying. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just done. I'm stopping replying to this. Like, how is he not past this yet? What is the issue? And that, what I showed him, was not patient love, right? Abandoning him, that was not patient love. But I had given up on my friend. But God, he does not abandon us like that. There's not come a point when God's like, you know what? You're too far gone. You've messed up one too many times. I'm abandoning you. I'm done with you. God shows love in his patience towards us, even though you don't deserve it. He shows that to us, right? He pours out his love time and time again in our lives. He's patient with you. He's not quick to anger like many of us are. He's not quick to anger. So we can take joy knowing that our God is the God of second chances. He offers us a chance and time and time again after we've continually messed up. He offers us a second chance and we, are, we should be so thankful for that. He goes again like Hosea. He goes again to love the sinner. You, the one that he had chosen, the one that he has continually shown patience to, the one who has praised God in church and gone maybe hours after to sin and blaspheme his name. He chooses to go again and love you. That is a patient love. That is a really patient love. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, this love portion of scripture, we see that it says, love is patient. So when we love others, our love needs to be the same as God's love towards us. And his love towards us is patient. So how have you seen God being patient with you recently? Have you seen him being patient with you recently? Have you seen how there were many opportunities for God to cast judgment on you, to make you pay for the consequences of your mistakes and your sins, but he's withheld those things and offered patience for you. Have you seen that? How have you been patient to others in your own life? How have you been patient to your spouse, to your family, to your coworkers, to your classmates, to your friends, to your kids? Have you shown patience to these people? Is it evident in your life? 
Now, the second ingredient that we see is that persevering love is costly. Now, we see that in verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 together again. It says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. This verse starts with Hosea buying his wife. Talk about costly, right? This is a perfect image of God paying our debts. But before we get into that, we need to take a moment and realize what has happened between verses 1 and verse 2. Can you guys see that? What's going on there? First, God tells him, go again. Go find Gomer. Go love her. Verse 2, he buys her. Something has happened in between. Hosea has gone and found his wife, Gomer. Now, we need to kind of step into the moment for a second and realize what's going on here. If Hosea is going to look for Gomer, it's not just a, uh, I better go find Gomer. I wonder where she is. Is she at the grocery store? No, she's not there. Is she at the city gate? No, she's not there. Is she at the park? Can't find her there. No, if Hosea is going to find his wife, the mother of his kids, the place he is likely going to find her is the last place he wants to go. He is looking for his wife in a place of sexual deviancy. His wife, who is an adulteress, is likely in the place where you would find prostitutes. Could you imagine that? He's looking for his wife there. And to make matters worse, Hosea is a prophet. He's a righteous man. Could you imagine the rumors going around? This is socially costly, ladies and gentlemen. Hosea, a prophet of God, is searching for his wife in the place of prostitutes. Imagine what everyone around would be saying about him. Oh, we can't find his wife again. Gomer has left him. Some prophet he is. This is what he's looking for. This is what God has called him to. Following God and offering persevering love is costly, and God has shown that towards us. We can feel the pain of this search that Hosea is just finished. So to the rest of the Israelites, Gomer was likely a prostitute with a price tag. But to Hosea, she was his wife and the one that his love would know no end. When we see that, our eyes should be drawn from how great of a guy Hosea is to how great of a God our Lord is. That's where our attention should be drawn when we see this. Because the Lord is using Hosea as an example of his love to the culture. Now, persevering love is not only socially costly. Persevering love is also financially or physically costly. Hosea paid for his wife. Let's go back to there, right? We see that at the beginning of verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley is what it says. So what's the significance? What does 15 shekels of silver mean? What is a homer? What is a lethic of barley? What does all of that even mean to us? Well, there's two main views that many theologians take on the importance of this um, number that's given to us. And some say that the 15 shekels of silver and the barley adds up to about 30 shekels of silver. That's what some people say. And in Exodus 21 verse 32, we see that that is the price, 30 shekels of silver is the price of a lost slave. So it's like compensation for a lost slave. Right? Others say that the specific amount was used because that is exactly how much she owed in debt. Or they look back at chapter 2, 
and they see, okay, if she has gone into debt because God has pulled all her resources from her, she's likely had to go into debt and borrow from people, right? Either way, whatever the reason is, she's become a slave and likely not just any slave, likely a slave of prostitution, a sex slave. I couldn't imagine a worse situation to be in. This is the state that Gomer is in. And then Hosea shows up, and whatever the reason he shows up for is, he pays her debt. Whether it's because she's a slave or because she's gone into debt, Hosea pays what she owes. He pays that for her. That's what he's done. No questions asked. There's no apology that's given to Hosea here. He doesn't wait for an apology. He goes forward and pays the debt. Now, when I look at um, different families, I get to deal with youth ministry a lot, which I love, and I get to see kind of like around the middle school age and younger, we see the way that kids interact with their parents. And it often reminds me of how I interacted with my parents when I was younger, and it just brings to the realization that, wow, I must have been a brat when I was a lot younger. Like you, you see kids acting out against their parents and their parents just showing love, right? Oftentimes, sometimes it's, it's not always possible, but they show love, right? They show patience and they show love. And I can think of a time in my life when I was just starting to learn how to drive and I had my, my G2 and I was able to take the vehicle when I wanted and um, I would ask my parents to borrow one of the vehicles, and one time I was going to meet up with some of my friends and I had not asked my parents to use the vehicle. And I was about to leave and I talked to my mom and I was like, hey, can I take the vehicle? And she was kind of hesitant because she had plans to go somewhere else. And we kind of got into an argument and my dad wasn't home and I took the keys, I was given the keys and I left. And I didn't realize the sacrifice that my mom had made for me at that moment. Right? She had shown sacrifice in her love towards me. Thankfully, my dad wasn't home, and I dealt with it. When I got home, I realized I was in the wrong. And, um, but at the time, I didn't realize the sacrifice that was made for me. I didn't realize that my mom was showing some form of sacrificial love by allowing me to take the vehicle when she had already had plans far ahead of mine. I'm using her own vehicle. Right? We see that. What we see in this passage is far greater than loaning a vehicle, right? We may not be or have been prostitutes like Gomer, but in the eyes of God, we are. In the eyes of God, we are already are. We are spiritually adulterous is what we see, right? It's constant. Our spiritual adultery is constant. We have offended God. We've done this to him. We don't deserve the lengths that God has gone to show us his love. So don't think for a second that you are worthy of the love that God has given you. We are not worthy of God's love. We've done nothing to deserve it, but he makes a sacrifice by offering it to us, by showing that persevering love is costly. We owed far more than 15 shekels of silver. We owed our lives for the sin that we had committed, and God had shown us how costly his love would be. We were slaves to sin. We were only put together once Jesus has offered us freedom from our debt that can be found in him. And that's how costly this love is for us. And something I think it's interesting is like Hosea or like Gomer, we ourselves 
didn't even want freedom from our sin, right? There's no apology. Gomer is not on the ground saying, Hosea, please take me back. He's not waiting for a cry of help from Gomer, but he goes and he buys her back. He shows persevering love. And this reminds me of Romans verses five, verse eight, where it says Christ showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were blaspheming his name, while we didn't want freedom, he died for us. That's the cost of his love. He didn't wait for us to raise up our hands or call out for help. He was the pursuer. He was the initiator. He showed that love towards us. So have you put your faith in that? Is your faith in the one who has purchased you from your debt? Have you recognized that no matter where you're at in life, you could not be there if it were not for Jesus Christ? Have you come to that realization? Does your love to others show sacrifice? Does it show sacrifice in your time? Does it show sacrifice in the skills or gifts that you have? Do you show sacrifice to others with your money? And this is not a sacrifice of whatever is over the top. I'm just going to give whatever is over the top. I'm going to give my extra time whenever I have extra time. I'm going to give my extra money whenever I make a lot of money, right? This is a costly sacrifice. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. His love was costly. So do you show costly love? This may mean that you are now hindered from receiving more, right? You may not be giving up too much at the time, but you may be preventing yourself from potential um, bonuses or potential climbing the ladder in your company. Does it mean that you are willing to give up that to show the love of God? Are you willing to do that? Has the sacrificial love of God been made evident in your life? Could you say it is? And now the third ingredient that we see for persevering love is this. Persevering love is hopeful. We see that in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. It says, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Now, now that Hosea has redeemed Gomer, he reinstates or rephrases the covenant that he'd made with her, right? He reminds her, hey, we're married. We are to one another. Now, why did he do this? I think he did this because Gomer doesn't seem eager to join back in the covenant, right? She's not resisting, but she is not like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm repentant. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this, right? She's not eager to go back to this love and this provider. But it doesn't seem that this persevering love is finished yet, right? It shows that persevering love offers hope. So what does Hosea do? He sets up a time of purification for her. And this is interesting. Not only will she no longer be adulterous, but she will completely refrain from sexual relations altogether, is what we're seeing from this verse. Right, another less literal and more contextual translation of this verse is like this. It says, you shall refrain from sexual activities outside of marriage, and I also will refrain from intimate relationships with you. And we can see that this is the purpose of the verse by looking at verse 4. And it carries on. It says, for the children of Israel, comparing the two, shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, 
without ephod or household gods. Just as Gomer will be without sexual activity, so the Israelites will be without stumbling blocks. That's what God has said here. God's tightening up his allowance for false gods to enter the lives of his people. This love is hopeful. Hosea sets this up to help her have a future. Right? We see this. We see that God is not done with her yet. Hosea's identity can no longer be found in her prostitution, but she can find her identity in being a wife, in being a mother. And it's now linked with Hosea and no longer defined by her prostitution. She's given a new identity, and that's hope. That is hopeful, right? A love that perseveres is a love that offers and gives hope. Not false hope, but true life-giving hope. Worldly hope says, oh, I really wish that this would happen. I just, I just really hope that that will happen. It might not happen, but I do hope it will happen. While biblical hope says, I am completely relying and trusting in the God that has never failed me. I'm hoping in him because I know that he will come through. That is my hope, right? Worldly hope would have been Hosea sitting at home saying, oh, I really wish Gomer comes home. I really wish she's repentant. I really wish she shows up at home. While it's biblical hope goes out, finds her and tells her who she is and who she can be in God, right? So the lie that Gomer was believing that she isn't enough, that Hosea won't be enough, that Hosea doesn't love her, that Hosea doesn't need her, was creeping into her mind while Hosea offers her hope, true hope, right? We buy into those lies though. We often buy into those lies like Gomer, that we have no hope, that there is something better than God, and we lose our hope and the gift that we'd been given. Think of it like this. Think of it like a dog named Buddy. Now, Buddy is out for a walk in the park and he'd just been given a really nice big bone. And he's got this, this bone clenched in his teeth, and he's walking around at this park. And as he walks, he walks by a stream. And he's looking in the stream, and as he looks down, he sees what appears to be a nice big bone. And without hesitation, he opens his mouth, plunges into the water, and grabs as quick as he can. And as he pulls up, he comes out with nothing except water. He had just lost the bone, the gift that he had been given for an illusion, for a lie. He gave it up. And now the only bone that was in the water is the one that he had that has now sunk to the bottom. He lost it. He had given up what he had been given. We do that. Like the dog, we buy into the lie that there is something better than what we've been given. There is an illusion that we buy into right? Fractured truth. It looks good. It appears to be good. And we buy into that, right? And working at a church does not make me immune to this either, right? I'm not immune to this. Just like Adam and Eve being deceived that there is something better and that God is not good to them, we buy into these lies. We do that. At times, I believe that maybe I need more. Sure, what the world has to offer didn't satisfy me last time, but that's just because I didn't have enough. If I had more, and if I had more of what the world has to offer, then that will truly satisfy me. And it never satisfies us long-term. We always need more, we need more, we need more. But what we see is that God chases after us and he offers us hope. 
He gives us hope. He tells us that we don't have to live our lives searching for hope where it can't be found. He calls us sons and daughters. He tells us that he has plans for our lives, that he cares about us. And he tells us that when we're going through pain or we're being unjustly hurt, that he will be with us. He's going to be by our side. This is the hope that we have in God. And ultimately, we've been given hope that we will once again see him and be resurrected through salvation. Right? And we have that hope because we know that God is in control of all and he's with us. So is your hope found in Jesus? Are you finding your hope in him? Or do you look for security or well-being in the things around you? Maybe the things of this world. This is a question. What is your response when you don't feel the love of God? What do you go to? Do you go to him or do you say, I'm not feeling God's love right now, so I need something else. I'm going to look for it in things of the world. I'm going to look for it in things that haven't satisfied me in the past, right? Do you rely on the promises of God to give you hope? If I asked every single person that you had ever come in contact with in your entire life this question, how would they answer it? If I said, hey, has this person ever told you or offered you the hope that is found in Jesus Christ? Would any of them say yes? Would any of them say, yeah, he has given me true hope by telling me where I can find my hope? Would any of them say yes? And if they would say yes, when is the last time that was done? When's the last time you offered true hope to someone else? Right? When's the last time you shared that? Now, lastly, persevering faith. The last ingredient is this. This is an important one. The fourth and final ingredient is persevering love is forgiving, right? A love that perseveres is forgiving. Now, there is no moment that we see in these five verses where Hosea flat out says to Gomer, I forgive you, or I offer you forgiveness. But we can be sure that it happened, as we moved from verses 1 to 4, we've seen the process of restoration and reconciliation. We've seen that. Hosea is repairing and rebuilding his relationship with Gomer. That's what's been going on. So for true restoration to happen, forgiveness has to be offered. You can't truly be restored without offering forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 15 says that love is not resentful and that it does not keep a record of wrongs. So we're not told how or what Hosea said to offer forgiveness to Gomer. I think that's important. I think it's very important because it reminds us this story is not about Hosea. It is not about Hosea. It's about the loving forgiveness that God shows to his people. That's what this is about, right? We offer that, we are given that, through the offer of Jesus Christ. And that is the core of Christianity. This should point us to Jesus Christ that, hey, it is not about Hosea forgiving Gomer. It's about God forgiving you. God has forgiven you. And that is the core of Christianity that we have been forgiven. And it always must be that. God explicitly shows forgiveness. And the forgiveness that he offers brings us back into relationship with him. He's the initiator. We were not the initiator. 
So we can see this persevering love on display all throughout history. But there's one moment in particular that stands out above all the rest. And that is the persevering love of Jesus Christ himself. The creator God humbling himself to be like his creation. The ones that he spoke into existence, he walked along. Not as some rich king, but just walked alongside them. God in the flesh put persevering love on display like never before. He showed patience by allowing the ones that he breathed life into to mock him, to chastise him, to criticize him, to make fun of him. He allowed that, but his love didn't give up. His love continued as those that he spoke life into humiliated him. They humiliated Jesus. They gave him a crown of thorns and put a sign over his head that sarcastically called him the king of the Jews as a way to say, you really have no power. And Jesus allowed this to happen. Our creator, God, he showed patience. Now, long before this, I would have given up and said, just forget them. I'm done with them. I'm just going to destroy them just by calling down angels or speaking for them to end. That's what would have been my turning point. But Jesus allows it. He allows his creation to hang him on a cross and drive nails through his feet and through his hands. That is a sacrifice. The cost of love is being shown through Jesus Christ. And as they continue to mock and ridicule them, as they make fun of them, all this pain that is being thrown upon Jesus, what is his response to this? Luke chapter 23, verse 34 says this. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He offers forgiveness in this moment. When love seems to have given up, when there seems to be no hope, he offers forgiveness to us. You want to talk about persistent love? Even in, him, in his dying moments, he was pursuing his people. That's the love of Jesus. Through his death and later his resurrection, he proved that not only does he have the persistent love, but he has the ability for his love to transform lives. He offers us hope. His death is the payment by which we've been brought back. Jesus created us. He already owned us, yet he still paid off your debt. Now, I am far more like Gomer than I would like to admit. I've run from God. I've abandoned God. I've searched for anything else to fill the void that I know only he can fill. Yet God keeps on pursuing me. He keeps on chasing me down. Even after I've given my life to the cause of Christ, I still turn back and run to my sin. But thankfully, my search for abandonment is overcome by God's pursuing love. He continues to chase me down. And that is the love of our God. And that is amazing. His love is persistent even in my abandonment. He draws me back in with his love. And I get to experience that free love and forgiveness that he offers. I'm no longer defined by my mistakes, by my errors, or my mess-ups. God forgives me, and he gives me a new identity as a child of God. And this is how persevering love wins. It wins because it wins the heart of the sinner, 
and brings glory and honor and praise to God Almighty. That is how it wins. So let's look as we end at verse 5, and it says this, And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Amazing. This is amazing. After a while, after being pursued by God's love, after not feeling God's love, even though he's continually pursuing them, he wins the heart of the sinner. The love of God is felt by the people and they recognize it and they turn in repentance. And it says they shall seek King David. Now I love this because as we read this, we can often forget timelines. At this point in scripture, King David is dead. King David's not alive. How are they going to search King David? This is not meant to be the physical King David. It is meant to be the one that comes from his lineage. The one who is the one true Messiah, the one he represented, Jesus Christ. The people of God will pursue him. They're going to pursue him. And what does it say at the end? It says the people of God will be in holy fear of Jesus for his goodness for his goodness, the goodness that is shown through his persevering love. So what should our response to such a persevering love be? It should be repentance. Repentance is the first step. We should, it should result in repentance and seeking after God. God, I have messed up. I am so much like Gomer that I hate to admit, and I need your forgiveness. And we know that the Bible says that God freely offers forgiveness to us. We've seen that through his persevering love. Right, that's what should revo- result in pouring out our life to God and receiving the free gift of freedom that he offers through salvation. And when we do that, we become disciples of God, is what we're called, children of God. And the call upon your life as a disciple is this. Ultimately, it's this. It's from Jesus himself in John 13, verse 34. It says this, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So what does love require of me? What does love require of me? What does it require of you? It requires that you, just as Jesus Christ has, offer persevering love to those around you. God's persevering love is the only way that you can win hopeless cases. And it's the reason why God's love is the only love that wins. I don't know though the people that you have given up on, people that you've just been like, I'm done with them. I'm not chasing them down anymore. I'm not offering any more love. I don't know those people, but God does. And you do. You know the people that you've given up on. You know them. So are you willing to offer them persevering love? We need to put to death this terrible mindset that we need to cut negative people out of our lives. That is not biblical. It is not biblical. We don't just build ourselves up with only healthy people that are always encouraging us and always loving us. If God were to have done that, we would have been separated from him long ago, but he shows us persevering love and he chases after us. And our love towards others should be the same as his because he calls us as disciples to love just as he has loved. So don't cut negative people out of your life. Offer them 
persevering love of God. How much do they mean to you? How much do they mean to you? Are you willing to give up some of your free time, some of the resources God has given you to save their soul? Or would you rather abandon them and refuse to show the love of Christ that's been shown to you? Are you willing to extend patience to show them love? Are you willing to offer sacrificing your time to show them love? Are you willing to speak truth into their life and offer them hope? Are you willing to forgive them even when they don't ask for it? Even when they have wronged you and they are not willing to admit it, are you willing to offer them forgiveness and show them the love of Christ? We are called to love as Jesus has loved. We are not given an option. So don't waste this opportunity that God is giving you. If you know the person that you need to show love to, write it down. Set an alarm. Set a reminder. Send a text message right now. Don't waste this opportunity of God speaking in your life. So who do you need to extend persevering love to this week? Maybe today. Maybe it is today you need to go and do that. Persevering love is the core of Christianity and what we've been offered by Jesus Christ. So let's let persevering love, the persevering love of God, overflow in our lives to those around us, right? Leading to them seeing patience, seeing the sacrifice, seeing hope, seeing forgiveness in their lives. It's the only way they can be saved. So not only will we be given those opportunities, not only in those opportunities will we be given a chance to show the persevering love of God, but God will be glorified in this. He is glorified. And when God is glorified, love has won. So be encouraged this week, church, knowing that the God of the universe has not given up on you. Because his love is not dependent on you. 